Welcome to Real Money Talks. Real strategies from the money makers and the world changers that you can use to make millions, keep those millions, multiply your wealth, and build your team. Here's your host, author of five New York Times bestsellers, money expert on Dr. Phil, CNN, CNBC, The Street TV, Fox News, and The View, Laurel Langmire. Hi, this is Laurel, and welcome back to Laurel's Real Money Talks, where we're talking about making money, keeping money, and investing money, and how to do that with the team. We have a new awesome teammate that I had to interview, and some of you are going to say, well, how is this about making money? And uh, I truly, I think a lot of you all know, my belief on that is if you don't keep your house, you're uh, doing all this wealth building. It's just an interesting activity. So I have Dr. Chin with me today, and uh, he is a world-leading brain and Alzheimer's research specialist, surgeon. So tell us about you. Like, how did you get into the brain world, Dr. Trin? <laughs> All right. Thanks for inviting me uh, to the podcast, by the way. Yeah. Name is Young Trin. And um, I've been a physician since 1999 when I got out of residency at uh, Long Linda uh-huh. in, um, in California. I'm uh, an internist by training and uh, do a lot of geriatric uh, medicine. Oh, interesting. Uh, yeah, so after 17 years of taking care of patients, and especially senior patients, I was successful in reducing heart disease, cutting down strokes, uh, helping with diabetes. The only thing I had no control over over 17 years was simply watching my patients get diagnosed with Alzheimer's. And going through the entire process from beginning to end and just watching helplessly without having much of a tool to help them out with that. And it was devastating not only to uh, our patients, but to the family as well. Mm -hmm. I know you know, Laura, that of every uh, patient who's been officially diagnosed with Alzheimer's, which, uh, by the way, is an epidemic, actually, in the United States, of every patient diagnosed, three other family members are affected. And really? it is devastating, devastating to the family. Folks are taking time off work. They're quitting work to become caregivers, caretakers, because we don't have the resources uh, and we're not prepared to uh, deal with this, uh, what we call the long death. The long death is when your brain is gone, but your body continues and it can continue for years. And um, I watched helplessly on the sideline when my patients were diagnosed and and I ended up signing their death certificates over the years. And so so what I did was I made a a decision to focus just on the brain. And that's what I've been doing for uh, the last few years. I'm involved with uh, Alzheimer's research. We are looking for a cure. We run clinical trials, testing multiple medications, uh, multiple pharma medications, going through phase one, phase two, phase three studies. There is some light at the end of the tunnel, but but we still have a long ways to go. So, what did your experience now in researching this causes it? I mean, like you said, so it's uh, you know I think it's a world leading epidemic. Um, clearly, in America, right. we got folks from I don't even know how many countries listen to this podcast now. So, what do you see the cause? What's why is it so widespread and increasing? Real quick, I'm going to give you a snapshot of what a healthy brain is like and what a non-healthy brain is like. In a healthy brain, we each have about 100 billion brain cells. And in a healthy brain, 
one brain cell will talk to the next brain cell and they'll talk to the next brain cell and they'll talk to the next brain cell. So they form these patterns of connections in the brain, patterns of communication, so that each pattern can be viewed as a memory. Each pattern can be viewed as a thought, a feeling. So what happens is, have you heard of amyloid protein? Have you heard the plaque that builds up in the brains of Alzheimer's patients? Mm -hmm. So amyloid uh, and tau, tau tangles, we call it. These are the two culprit. We call it amyloid beta. And what it is, is that it is a protein that builds up excessively in the brains of patients with Alzheimer's. And what this protein does is that it physically gets in the way and it blocks communication between brain cell to brain cell so that your brain cells can, can no longer talk to one another. And when this occurs, when enough of this occurs in the brain, and the brain cells can't communicate, it breaks up these patterns of communication, so it breaks up the memories. That's when memory problems start. So we know that every patient who has Alzheimer's, 100% of them have amyloid plaque in their brain, 100%. At the same time, we also know that not everyone who has the plaque will actually go on to get Alzheimer's, which is pretty neat. Yeah. Because that tells me that even if you have the plaque, we can bend the curve. We can bend the curve to avoid the diagnosis. And that's exactly what I do at Irvine Clinical Research in, in Irvine is we bend the curve through clinical research. And are uh, you bending that. the curve through, like you, you mentioned pharma, and we're going to switch directions on our whole audience here. And talk about medical marijuana, because I know you support it. You and I both have you know, a huge passion right. for that, what's going to cure a lot of things. Right. But in your clinical trial, are you doing mostly pharma work? I mean, are you seeing any, like, that kind of medicine coming out? Because I know as we talk about medical marijuana, we know there's some hope over there. Right. So I, I do two things with the Healthy Brain Club. First of all, I'm an educator. So I am in the community several times a week. I'm in hospitals, I'm at senior centers, I'm at community centers, and I do education on Alzheimer's risk reduction. We know what the risks are. We know the factors that lead to this plaque production, and I'm out there educating the public on what we need to do with our lifestyle to reduce our risk for Alzheimer's. Thus, foremost is prevention, right? Mm -hmm. Doing what you can to minimize the risk. Secondly, we do clinical research. What this means is that pharma company develop medications that need to go through the clinical trials process before it gets to the FDA for approval. So in clinical research, we conduct uh, these protocols to test these medications. And you know what? It's quite, frankly, it's quite exciting. After 15 years of having nothing approved, the last medication approved for Alzheimer's was back in 2003. It was a medication called wow. Namenta. And it's been 15 years. We had zero approval of medications. And we kind of know why, but that's like an hour lecture I got to give you to tell you that reason. <laughs> <laughs> but what we're doing now is we are using immunotherapy. Have you heard that term, immunotherapy? I have. Immunotherapy currently is being used successfully 
in the treatment of cancer. So what we do is we prime the immune system to recognize the cancer cell as the bad guy. So for example, rather than thrashing the body with chemotherapy, which destroys the good guy and the bad guy, right? Yeah. With the virus, what immunotherapy does is that we simply train the immune system to recognize the cancer cell so that the immune system itself goes after the cancer cell. President Jimmy Carter, he had brain cancer. He no longer has brain cancer due to immunotherapy. And we are using immunotherapy in melanoma. We're using immunotherapy in uh, certain types of non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, in leukemias, certain types of breast cancers and lung cancer. And we're getting it, we're doing it with success. What we are doing now is we're taking this technology of immunotherapy, we are bringing it over to Alzheimer's treatment. So what I'm doing in the clinic is we have a team that uses immunotherapy to train the immune system to recognize the Alzheimer's plaque as the bad guy. Very interesting, interesting. research. Very interesting. So that's seeing, you know, positive results. Now, as a physician, let's talk about medical marijuana. You know, how does someone support it, you know, uh, as you say, without becoming a pothead, especially in light of, and I'm actually just going to bring this in because it just came out on uh, a couple of days ago. Um, so I don't remember which exact day, but Colorado just came out with a study. I don't know if you saw that, where, uh, and I don't know who actually did it, obviously the people against the industry, you know, saying that a lot of the kids are becoming, you know, addicted, that the vapes did most of the states with medical and recreational vapes are becoming, you know, an all-time risk factor in the high schools and the junior highs. So, right. you know, it's this interesting duality of, you know, this medicine, I'm going to call it, that actually could change lives with the studies like that and, you know, reports like that. So how do you support right. it as a physician? I speak to that. Right. As physicians, and especially as a physician like myself who grew up in a uh, conservative family home, I went to church. I grew up with a lifetime of, I don't, how do you call it, propaganda, but I grew up with a lifetime of belief, <laughs> with a lifetime of belief that pot is bad, that weed yep. is evil, right? And yep. uh, we same, go to I got church. The same story. <laughs> I got the same family, yeah, same I, story. I, yeah. I've been taught that my whole life. And that's still the, the prevailing thought in many communities. What is kind of turning my world around now as a researcher in medicine, I am seeing published report now, published reports on a routine basis on the, the fact that cannabis is treating childhood seizures, that cannabis is treating chronic pain, that cannabis is treating anxiety, and, and report after report is coming out and making me, quote-unquote, confused because mm -hmm. my, my worldview has always been that pot is evil. Yep. <laughs> so yep. so we have this dilemma now. Is, is it evil or is it helping? And, right. and that's where... I'm slowly looking to see how can we promote medical marijuana for health reasons, for, for cutting down the use of uh, opioid addiction, for replacing some of these other medications with tons of side effects. How can we use this from responsible perspective and not create potheads? 
And, <laughs> and do, you a, do you have any, uh, I can't call it medical advice, but I mean, what's your, what's your answer to that today? Knowing that, knowing that there's all this research yet to be done, there's proof to be done, clinical trials because it's federally, you know, right. not legal is really difficult, you know, more challenging to do, I'll say. So what's your short answer right. to that today? Knowing that, you know, in right. two, three months, and as we continue to work together, and what we've been right. talking about, it, your answer will change and expand. I'll say that. <laughs> so what's it today? It will. It will. My, my short answer is to look at the data, to look at the evidence that's coming out. The data does show that children who use marijuana for the wrong reasons will have detrimental effects long-term on their, on their brains. So we need responsible parenting. We need to educate folks that marijuana, if used correctly, can provide health benefits. Well, at the same time, we're not promoting everyone to go out and smoke weed <laughs> yeah, uh, with exactly. that. And I think it can be done. And I think, Laura, through, uh, through your partnership and through, you know, maybe new projects that we can create, we can promote this for the right reasons, for health reasons, to benefit, you know, society, to benefit folks who need it. My seniors, many of them are going out without telling me, and they're <laughs> buying, you know, CBD oil, they're, they're using cannabis behind my back simply because they... <laughs> simply because they fear that I will condemn it. But truly, I'm looking at the data, and it is helping folks with chronic pain, with arthritis, with Crohn's disease, with multiple conditions that are currently actually not even FDA-approved for this, but people are using it because they're seeing the benefits uh, of it. So we need to find a way to bring this out and in a responsible manner. And I think it can be done. The research is panning out as well. I mean... I mean, there's talk no about that a little bit. Point. Talk a little deeper about how, like, is it just the CBD oil? Is it CBD with a little THC? Because that's you know, being in this industry and just off back uh, frame for the audience, you know, last July, if you've been following, I got heavily into this industry and knew I was you know going to make a big stake in this new asset class called cannabis, also going to do blockchain and cryptocurrency. So we bought 23 acres in Cathedral City, and so one of my uh, conversations with Dr. Tram is, what if we took and did a fund really just to focus on medical and really Alzheimer's and brain uh, memory loss and made a center in Cathedral City and put the clinical trials. We will have licenses that we'll be able to do different things with that I think will support it. So just so those of you in the backdrop, just uh, continue to watch as uh, like this expands and your research expands. But back to my question, is it CBD with THC? Like what I'm seeing, it's, that's not happening. And I, that's why I'd love, you know, you and your doc friends to really get around is, Providing some dosage recommendations. I mean, people just, like you said, they hide about it. They're embarrassed about it. They don't know what people think, so they just don't say anything. And the dosing is the biggest, what I'm hearing and seeing is one of the bigger challenges that people don't know. Right. And, and it's super early in the field to, to even look at dosing. We still have some restrictions under the FDA of even doing uh, clinical trials on cannabis because cannabis at the federal mm -hmm. level, is still illegal. <laughs> I mean, marijuana in general, right? At the mm -hmm. federal level. So because of those laws, there are restrictions to even initiate you know, clinical trials for health benefits. But I think that's going to return. Uh, and I think yep. the attitudes and the views will change over the next few years uh, with that. But just to show you the, the amount of studies and, and early research coming out about cannabis, 
All you have to do is go to the government website called PubMed.com. It's a P-U-B, B as in boy, M-E-D dot com. And, and who, who backs that? Just so I'm always very transparent. Is that a oh, medically so based or government based? Yeah. Yes, yes. It is the NIH, National Institute of Health. <laughs> it is the government site for clinical yeah. trials. And when you go there, in the search section, just write down cannabis. And when you do that, you will be surprised at the list of research that's been published. If I, I just did it right now. It's 17,906 reports. 17,000 reports on cannabis research uh, published in clinical journals and medical journals. So the, the studies is basically exploding in, in learning early, you know, early information on cannabis. And as you know, uh, marijuana, I mean, God doesn't create any evil plants, right? It's just that humans exactly. abuse it. <laughs> no, it's we, true. We abuse it. And I want to add to that, just if you actually dig deeper, that's why I asked if it was a government or I love that it's actually the national you know, health group that's doing right. it. But I don't remember the year, but if I'm, if I'm accurate, and I know Steve, who's helping us uh, do our recording this morning, uh, knows too. But uh, the U.S. government, to my understanding, owns the U.S. patent of medical marijuana. They own the trademarks, they own the patent. I mean, it's, I think it was even like the 1800s when it was banned. But right. I think the governments have known, not just the U.S., have known for centuries that medical marijuana, in its, like you said, right, responsible use, can cure a lot. Yes. And it's very ironic that they would yeah. commit elite, and at the same mm -hmm. time, they own the patent on it. <laughs> yep, they do. They, uh, they wanna, I think they knew, like, some somebody wise, you know, knew that somewhere down the line, you know, the U.S. government could make a hell of a lot of money. I don't know that they actually will. I think it's been... That's just interesting. Right. So tell us a little bit about, so first of all, you have a brain club. So anybody wants to learn more about what you're doing and follow, you know, what you and I are both going to be doing and see how that goes right. and uh, how it's going to help them. But where, where, where can they follow you and some of your lectures? I run the, the healthybrainclub.com and that's our website, healthybrainclub.com. And my purpose uh, of the healthybrainclub.com is simply to bring awareness, uh, education on Alzheimer's uh, risk reduction. And so for, if you or anyone else know somebody who's suffering from this, you know, this horrible condition, you can go on there and, uh, and there's a number of videos I have on there on YouTube that are linked where you can learn a little bit about Alzheimer's and uh, about lifestyle changes to uh, reduce our risk. And that's basically what I do now uh, with that. And uh, it's a passion because uh, a lot of us uh, know somebody who have suffered from this disease of Alzheimer's. Just say your website one more time so everyone hears it. Healthybrainclub.com. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah. So I want to take you back to uh, just to kind of dot a few I's and cross some T's in our conversation this morning. So are the patients that you said are going behind your back, are they just using pure CBD or are they actually, you know, that's like, that's what brought up my dosing question. Or are they actually just, you know, going into dispensaries and trying to figure out what might be best for them based on, you know, honestly, an employee at a dispensary's opinion? You know, uh, what's really interesting is there's a community, there's a senior retirement community close to where I, I work, and there's 18,000 retirees in this community. They're uh, one of the largest senior communities in, in, Orange, in California, actually. 
and they have over 200 clubs, 200 clubs in this community. The largest and the fastest growing club is the cannabis club. Interesting. And, and it's not because seniors want to get high, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. It's not because seniors want to get high, but because they are realizing that a lot of the, the conditions that affect seniors, arthritis, chronic pain, a lot of these conditions is actually taken care of by medical marijuana, by cannabis. So they're talking to each other. They're going out and getting products together. They're hopping on a bus to, to go to dispensaries to pick up products. I don't even know exactly where they... Yeah, I don't even know exactly where they go, uh, but I know they, they hop on a bus and they, they go together in groups to, to, to get this kind of stuff. And again, I, I'm realizing now that our seniors and our patients are doing this behind our backs because they mm-hmm. fear condemnation. They fear condemnation by doctors. But we have to, as physicians, we have the responsibility to, to figure out why this is occurring and why our patients are actually getting better relief with this than the opioids that we've been prescribing. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, and then you talk about the another, you know, world leading addiction just in the opioids and the misuse right. of that as well. I could talk to you forever about this as you tell I have high interest in but one thing just on the parenting side, what would you say, you know, I'm in Nevada, you're in California, we're both in you know recreational medical uh, legal states and you know, as as I'm I'm moving my daughter to new middle school and uh, I was meeting with the principal and the counselors, and that, they're the ones that said it too. They said, you know, I said, so how's bullying and what's the school like? And you're just asking normal parent questions. And they said, you know, our number one problem is bullying anymore. It's actually vape use. And where the kids are getting it is from the parents, you know, sneaking it and hiding it. And so I think there's just a huge category right there. Knowing that misuse in the children will actually damage their brain has to be a huge message to the parents. Parents are uneducated. They don't know what to say. So what would you say to parents just about responsible use other than the way, you know, you and I grew up, which is, you know, you're going to die and right. have it it's illegal. You're going to go to jail. Everything your whole life's going to fall down. Um, what would right, be a right. few, you know, a minute to parents out there, what they could say to their kids about responsible use? Right. I, I would say that the medical studies and the research have shown that marijuana use in a brain that is still developing with the children mm-hmm. and the brain that is still developing will cause long-term damage to that brain. Anything that we view as, as natural, as safe, anything overused and abused will become damaging. It doesn't matter if it's a vitamin, a nutrient. If you're overusing it and, and using it inappropriately, it becomes a medication that can be harmful. And it's the same way with cannabis. It's the same way with marijuana. Uh, used for the wrong reasons just to get high, especially when you're young, uh, will cause irreparable damage to the brain. So that needs to go hand in hand in our education about medical marijuana. We need yep. to educate about responsible use of marijuana long term. Yep. Uh, well, in different phases in your life and different conditions in your life. And uh, like you said, we're a long way from dosing, but Whoever actually can crack that formula is going to be, you know, not a billionaire, probably a trillionaire. Or the government will decide. <laughs> that they, I think the government will decide they did. They, you know, they claimed it. So we need to go. Um, we promise our our listeners that this podcast comes out on a regular schedule. So um, it comes out on what well, they can get up in the morning and for the first conversation that right. they're listening to or on the way to work. So, Doctor Trim, thank you, and I'm sure you will be back on many more podcasts as uh, we can continue this journey together. Is there any uh, last words that you want to say to our folks? I just want to say, Laurel, uh, thank you for bringing up this conversation. This conversation needs to happen. 
it's evolving. Medical marijuana is uh, approved in that 29 states, and uh, it's just a matter of time. And so we need to bring up this conversation to our family. And we can learn a way to uh, monetize it as well as investors. And so uh, it's a win-win situation. It is. So I appreciate your time. And again, if you want to learn more, stay in tune. Um, Dr. Shrim's site is healthybrainclub.com. And if you have any questions or want uh, just to give us some feedback, go to askloral.com. It's A-S-K-L-O-R-A-L.com. Put in your name, your phone number, your email, make a request or ask a question, and we'll be back with you right away. And uh, this is it for this podcast on Laurel's Real Money Talk. Have an amazing day. Thanks for listening to the Real Money Talks podcast. Your host has been Laurel Langmeyer, author of five New York Times bestsellers, money expert on Dr. Phil, CNN, CNBC, The Street TV, Fox News, and The View. Want to learn more about off-Wall Street investing, tax strategies, and multi-million dollar business strategies? Visit liveoutloud.com slash podcast for past episodes, show notes, and resources. For some special wealth building gifts only for Laurel's podcast listeners, visit liveoutloud.com slash podcast gifts. Do you have a burning question for Laurel? Visit asklaurel.com to submit your question, and it may just be covered on a podcast episode. So stay tuned and be sure to subscribe to get new episodes every week.